They're crazy, they're zany, and just plain nuts, but they love Jesus. America's Keswick and all of you. Here are the hosts of the Bob and Bill podcast, Robert Hayes and Bill Welty. Well, good afternoon, Bob. Hello, Bill. How are you? Good. This is episode 20. It's unbelievable, isn't it? So I thought maybe today we would do something fun. We did it on the worship live the other day, but uh, this is sort of some fun songs. Yep. Not that we don't want to be spiritual. We'll save that to the end because we got a special song at the end. So let's do something from the sound of music. All right. Sounds good.
Well, we're excited that Pastor Ken Carlson is back to share with you a word from the Lord. He was our speaker for our Addiction Recovery Reunion Weekend. He serves on the teaching team at Bayside Chapel in Barnegat, New Jersey. Let's give a listen to Pastor Ken's message. Good morning, colony friends and family. I trust your night was restful and that God's word both challenged and comforted you last night. Now, I know many of you were probably wearing uh, the same clothes that you wore yesterday, so um, don't judge me for having on the same jacket. <laughs> um, but if you remember from last night, I mentioned uh, two things that have become very clear to me the previous eight weeks. Um, one being just how poor the world really is, right? And just how rich we are as followers of Jesus. And last night, we looked at the first half of Ephesians chapter 1. And we saw how each member of the triune God is involved in making us so wealthy, so rich in the things that money can't buy, right? We saw how the Father planned for our adoption, how the Spirit purchased, or I'm sorry, how the Father planned for our adoption, how the Son purchased our redemption, and how the Spirit promises our inheritance. Father planned for our adoption, Son purchased our redemption, and the Spirit promised promises our inheritance. And we summed all that up by saying that God's infinite gifts have made us infinitely rich. Now, if you remember, I mentioned that the second thing these last two weeks have taught me is just how important prayer is. And this is where we're going to turn our focus uh, this morning and, uh, and tomorrow as well, on prayer. So with that, let's pray. Father, we give you these moments ahead. Lord, Thank you for your word. Thank you for using it to change us, transform us, to reveal yourself uh, to us through your scripture, Lord. And um, God, I pray that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see um, exactly what it is you're calling us to do, Lord, and just how marvelous all the blessings that we have in Christ really are. Spirit, help us to understand and apply all the implications of these marvelous truths in our lives. And I pray for my brothers and sisters watching as well. Lord, encourage them, challenge them, Lord, and mold them into the image of Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's this story told of William Randolph Hearst, who was a millionaire um, newspaper publisher. And Hearst invested a fortune in collecting great works of art. Well, one day, he decided that he has to add one more piece to his collection. So he sent his agent across the globe to locate and purchase this certain piece of art that he really, really wanted. Months went by before the agent returned and reported to Hearst that the item had at last been found. It was stored in his own warehouse. Hearst purchased it years before and he forgot that he possessed it. Now I cannot help but see the similarity in our own lives. And I made a similar point last night, right? We so often and, and too easily forget the great wealth that we the great uh, wealth that we possess in Christ, the great blessings that God has made us rich in. Well, in the passage we're going to look at today, Paul is going to remind us of our great wealth. And he's going to show us that we need God's help to access it. 
Last night, we scratched the surface of the great truths in the first 14 verses of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We did not, uh, that wasn't a deep dive by any means. I'd encourage you guys to continue reading that and studying that. Um, but we looked at those uh, first 14 verses um, in Ephesians. And make no mistake, those 14 verses contain some of the mightiest statements of the Christian faith. Right in those verses, we, we see that we have incredible uh, wealth in Christ. In those verses, we see um, all of the wealth that we have was made possible by the Father. Uh, we saw that Jesus lavishes his grace on us and freely extends his forgiveness to everybody who asks. And we saw that the Spirit dwells within us and guarantees our new life now and into eternity. And we saw that God's infinite gifts have made us infinitely rich. And what God says to you is he says, these are the things I give to you as my child. I've deposited them into your spiritual bank account. And this is the emphasis on the first half of Ephesians chapter 1. See, we need to stop living as spiritual beggars in light of the truth that God has given us an eternally valuable inheritance. But see, it's one thing to understand all that God has made us rich in. It's one thing to be able to acknowledge that our spiritual bank account has unlimited funds, unlimited resources, but it's another thing entirely to actually withdraw from that bank account. Right? It really wouldn't make much of a difference for you today if you knew you had a billion dollars in your bank account, walked up to the ATM, put your bank card in, and then forgot your PIN number. Well, sometimes we look at our spiritual bank account and we think, what's the PIN number? Right? I want to take advantage of all that's mine in Christ, but what code do I punch in? See, it's no coincidence that Paul, after detailing all of the spiritual blessings that belong to the believers in Ephesus, he then goes on to pray that God will open the eyes of their hearts to actually grasp all of these things. It's in the second half of Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23, where we learn that we need God's help to access the riches of the gospel. We need God's help to access the riches of the gospel. See, not only did God make a tremendous deposit into your spiritual bank account, but he's the one who set the pin code for you to withdraw from that account. So you need to rely on him to help you know and experience everything that is yours in Christ. And so the second half of Ephesians chapter 1 comes in the form of a prayer. And Paul begins his prayer by expressing deep gratitude to God for the church in Ephesus. And look at how he begins in verses 15 and 16. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you, in my prayers. Now, before, before Paul gets to the heart of his prayer for the Ephesians, he wants to commend them for their active faith, right? He wants them to know that though he's sitting in a jail cell in Rome, probably chained to a Roman guard, word got around to him that God's grace was evidenced in the lives of the Ephesian believers. And for this, Paul expresses gratitude for them. See, the Christian life has two dimensions, right? There's the vertical dimension, which encompasses our faith and love for God. But then there's also a horizontal dimension where that faith is worked out in love for others. Or you can't separate the two. 
Paul takes their faith in God and their love toward others as proof that they're true believers. But Paul also knew that there were some things that the Ephesians needed to mature in. There were some truths that they can't comprehend apart from the Spirit illuminating those truths. And we see this in Paul's main prayer request for them in verses 17 and the beginning of 18. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, the beginning of 18, he says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, this right here is the heart of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, right? He's praying that that God the Father would give to them by means of the Holy Spirit wisdom and revelation. Now, wisdom here refers to the ability to uh, understand the true nature of things. And revelation means the truths that God has made known about himself. So Paul prays that the Father would give them wisdom and revelation through the Holy Spirit. But to what end? For what purpose? So that they would grow in their knowledge of God, that they would know God better, and that they would realize just how much wealth is in their spiritual banks. See, the heart of Paul's prayer request for the Ephesians is that God himself would enable them to know him better. And make no mistakes, if, if the Ephesians needed God's help to grow in their knowledge of him, then so do we. And here's the first thing we see, is that we need God's help to grow in our knowledge of him. This is the first way God helps us access the riches of the gospel, the riches of knowing him in a personal, intimate way. You and I need the help of the Holy Spirit to grow in our knowledge of God. Now, there's a term that we use when we talk about the Holy Spirit opening our hearts and our minds, and it's called um, illumination. Illumination is the simple idea that God opens our eyes to know him and to know his truth. And when Paul says here, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, he's saying that your heart has eyes to see who God is and what God has done for you. But this isn't something we can see ourselves. This isn't something that we can see apart from the help of the Holy Spirit. We need Holy Spirit glasses to accurately understand what God has revealed to us about himself and about ourselves in Scripture. You know, this just might be the passage that Charles Spurgeon had in mind um, when he said that apart from the Holy Spirit, it's easier to teach a tiger to be a vegetarian than it is to teach an unregenerate person the gospel. Apart from the Holy Spirit, it's easier to teach a tiger to be a vegetarian than to teach an unregenerate person the gospel. Right? The Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and our minds to know God better. And knowing him better is vital to our growth as disciples of Jesus. See, people often have a low view of God, right? Seeing him as a smaller, weaker version of who he really is. In fact, some years ago in Britain, um, a group of researchers went door to door um, asking people about their belief in God. And one of their questions was, do you believe in a God? who intervenes in human history, who changes the course of affairs, and who performs miracles. Right? That was the question in this, in this study. Well, when published, their study took its title from the response of uh, one man who was seen as 
rather typical of those who responded, and he said this. He answered, no, I don't believe in that God. I believe in just the ordinary God. Now, I can't help but ask the question, how many of us believe in just the ordinary God, right? How many times have we formed ideas about God based upon our own experiences with our earthly fathers, right? How many times have we avoided getting too close to God because we grew up with a religion that painted him as an angry God, right? Out to get you when you mess up. Or how many times have we prayed weak prayers to God, asking him things that we're convinced are outside the scope of his ability? But friends, we don't have an ordinary God, do we? We have a God who is eternally infinite and completely self-existent. Right? We have a God who's all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful. We have a God who's the majestic creator of billions of stars, yet he's also sovereign over his creation and intimately involved in the lives of his children. See, he isn't just an ordinary God. He can't be. He's the extraordinary God who genuinely cares about us and is tenderly merciful toward us. He's the gracious God doing things for us that we don't deserve. He goes far beyond what could ever be imagined in showing favor and kindness toward us. He's the God who's slow to anger, patiently waiting for those who have sinned to turn in repentance to him. He's the God who abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness, perfectly reliable in every situation, and completely loyal to the promises he makes to his children. He's the God who forgives iniquity and pardons guilty sinners, granting forgiveness that encompasses the full range of human sin, blotting out an infinite mass of iniquity, and offering new life to those who by faith believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Does this sound like any ordinary God? Of course not. See, we need God's help to grow in our knowledge of him. We need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, as Paul says. So, so we should be praying that the Holy Spirit would pierce through all our misconceptions and strange ideas about God. And we should be praying that he would put us in touch with the Father as he really is and as he wants to be known. Now, there are three things in particular, that Paul wants the Ephesian believers to know in relation to God. And two of these three things are found in the rest of verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, here we go, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Paul is praying that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened in order that they would, one, know the hope to which God has called them, and two, know the riches of God's inheritance in them. Right? So not only do we need God's help to grow in our knowledge of him, but here we, need, uh, we see another way God helps us access the riches of the gospel. He helps us to grasp our identity in Christ. See, because we're so vulnerable to believe lies about ourselves, so quick to uh, take our value and worth from what others say about us, because we're so prone to believe as truth the lies of Satan, we come to our second point. We need God's help to grasp our identity in Christ. We need God's help to grow in our knowledge of him, and we need God's help to grasp our identity in Christ. 
Now, the two things uh, Paul uh, draws attention to reminds us here of who we are in Christ. Right? First, we're hope-filled children of God. When Paul says, the hope to which God has called you, this is a reminder for us who belong to God that he gave us a hope that no one can spoil, one that can't be taken away. Right? This hope isn't some sort of um, wishful thinking where we hope for something we likely won't get. The kind of hope mentioned here is a certain hope, a sure hope, the one where faith stands on its tiptoes, living in anticipation of what God has promised. So what is the hope to which God has called you? What are some of those things God has promised that we can live in certainty of? Well, how about the fact that Jesus erased all of our guilt the moment we trusted in him as our savior from sin and leader for life? Right? What about the hope we have as a result of the fact that God invites us to meaningful fellowship with himself? That's pretty cool hope. Right? We have the hope that we can take our worries, our stresses, our fears, our anxieties, and we can lay them at his feet and leave them there. We have the hope of the fruit of his spirit in our lives, working to bring about in us things like joy, peace, and patience. We have the hope of knowing that a day will come when God will welcome us into his eternal presence and provide for us a new home where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more suffering. As believers, we are hope-filled children of God. Well, and the second thing Paul draws attention to in order to remind us of who we are in Christ is that we are the rich inheritance of God. When Paul says, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, he's telling us that God has a rich inheritance. And that inheritance is you and me. See, in the first half of Ephesians uh, chapter 1, we're told that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. But here, Paul's not talking about our inheritance. He's talking about God's inheritance. And what he's saying is that which God values most are the souls of those who have put their trust in Christ. I am the rich inheritance of God. You are the rich inheritance of God. Now think about how incredible this is. The, the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as it says in the Bible, the, the one who owns every star and planet in every galaxy and every galaxy in the entire universe, the one who owns it all looks at you and says, of everything I own, of anything I can call into existence, the only thing I desire is you. You are my rich and glorious inheritance. Now, maybe like me, you've caught yourself having a poor me attitude throughout this pandemic, right? Maybe you've been feeling a bit depressed or anxious or down in the dumps. Well, what we're reminded of here is that if you're a follower of Jesus, there is no poor you. As God's rich inheritance, there's no such thing as a poor you. There's no such thing as a poor me. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is no poor you. 
as God's rich inheritance, there's no such thing as a poor you. I'll say it, and I'll keep saying it, and I'll keep saying it. You are not poor. I am not poor. So listen, regardless of what has happened in your past, whether it was addiction, adultery, idolatry, or anything else, as a follower of Jesus, you're not the sum total of your life's choices. Right? Rather, you're a new creation with a new identity. You're valuable to God. You're his trophy bearing witness to his greatest work of all in rescuing sinners and adopting them into his family. You're his treasured possession. You're his rich inheritance. The very core of who you are, your identity, is in Christ.
Well, thank you, Allison. We appreciate your ministry this afternoon. And uh, Allison is married to Freddie Conover, who is one of our full-time staff members. And they are expecting their first child. That's so. right. And his name, is, it's a, an interesting name. Ledger. Ledger. That's right. Ledger. That's right. But then Freddie's interesting. Yes. And, and we love Freddie. But Yes, we do. So thank you for joining us today. We have a special book we'd love to get into your hands. It's called Anchor for the Soul. It's written by our good friend, Dr. Ray Pritchard. You may be sitting here in the midst of COVID-19, lots of questions filled with despair. This book will be a great resource for you to help you understand what God can do in your life, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. You can call 1-800-453-7942 and request a complimentary copy. I want to encourage you to join us at 2.30 tomorrow. For we have we're doing so many podcasts, I can't remember what tomorrow we're doing. is the Ripple, isn't it? Tomorrow's the Ripple podcast. One of our testimonies with Jim Lang testimony, but Facebook Live at one thirty mm-hmm. with Robert and Joyce, and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Remember that America's Keswick depends on friends like you to support us with your gifts and your prayers. To give a gift for the ministry of America's Keswick, call one eight hundred four five three seven nine four two. Or you can give right from our website at www.americaskeswick.org. And now until Friday, Bob. See you, Bill. God bless. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let us know. Write us at bewealthy at americaskeswick.org. Or it'll be in the description below. If you'd like to learn more information about America's Keswick, you can visit our website at www.americaskeswick.org. Join us every Wednesday and Friday at 2.30 for the next edition of the podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Tyler. And have a good and godly day.